Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology, and welcome back, Chris. I feel like it's it's been a while. It has been a while. Not that I feel like it's been a while. It has been a while. It has indeed. Yeah, it's been too I think, long. I think we've both had some uh, pretty crazy things happen in the past few weeks. And yeah, I mean, I, I ended up with COVID, and it knocked me out for three weeks, pretty much. I mean, I was Gosh. out of commission for almost exactly three weeks. What about for you? What what was the craziness? Oh, you know, I had a baby. That that knocked me out for a few weeks. That will do it. That will do it. I'm sure your wife back bounced back, you know, much more quickly than you did. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 I, I sit here and complain. I've got nothing to complain about. I am um, tired though. It's oh uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I've never caught up on sleep. Yeah, I I've found in the past two weeks that I am terrible at formulating sentences. I'm not that great to begin with, but now it's even worse. So ah, yeah, you know, for all the all the listeners, I apologize in advance. But you know, we're here. We're giving the people what they want, which yes, was the are. the break that they got, not the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Look, oh Whew. no, nothing new in the feed for a while. Thank you. Yeah. Needed, needed a break from both of us, but, um, yeah, you know, that's, that's, I got a deadline for the dissertation coming up and, mm. uh, have a baby and a promotion at work, the old oh, university. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. So, you know, any amount of free time has just completely eviscerated. That mm. probably would have been okay with just a baby. I mean, that would have happened with just a baby anyways, but now just completely decimated. So, but we're still going to do this. This is let's do it. This is what we do. One of the things that we do, um, Chris. You know, t- today I I figured if anyone has paid attention to Facebook, Twitter, religion news, you know, a reoccurring thing has happened yet again, in which there are multiple colleges of a certain theological persuasion that have decided to, to again, like say they're being progressive to some degree because they're teaching women the Bible, right? Like there's one college and I can't even remember the name. It's not even worth knowing the name to be honest, but that has, you know, come out. We want to teach women the Bible so that they can at least rightly, understand it taught solely by men and of course from a complementarian viewpoint there's this new kind of conference that's happening in another college again you probably know the name of it i've forgotten uh again all about um women and why women shouldn't basically be leaders why they you know and and i say that it's not like the conference is called women shouldn't be leaders it's it's here, come learn from men about the proper place of women in, in the world, yeah. right? Yeah. Always yeah. taught from men, right? And in light of something like Beth Moore, semi-recently coming out and apologizing that she had ever held the complementarian views as a woman, that she taught women these views, and the fact that we are seeing kind of more and more people recognizing how harmful it is, but it's almost like we've entrenched in the camps, right? Like complementarians are just more complementarian than ever. And to some degree, egalitarians are more egalitarian than other, which is to some degree good until we get into that kind of conflicting zone. But I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. When you saw that, because I know that you've seen that, what was your just first immediate reaction? Oh, well, it, I mean, it does make me angry for sure. And triggers a whole range of responses from anger to grief to annoyance (laughs) just uh, (laughs) you know the eye roll kind of here we go again response i mean there 
it, it's, you know, I, there's a there's a certain line of reflection that I think, and that's where the anger and the grief comes from. There's something serious at stake, and there are you know real lives in the balance, and then there's a lot of that noise that is noise, right? It is right. Theo Bros flexing online. And that makes me angry in a different way, not in a, in a, in a entirely unsanctified, ungodly. Way. <laughs> right. I, it makes me want to throat punch them. Actually, what it makes me want to do is just convince everybody to ignore them. Right. I mean, yeah. that, there's a whole, a whole brand of getting attention by saying demeaning things about women, uh, you know, kind of gathering a following online promoting your own again it's a brand right and right that that kind of stuff which is driving a lot of the online conversation i just don't have much time for that kind of stuff right i mean it, it's but that said as annoying as that is when you get down to the quote-unquote issues there are i mean our sisters and mothers and daughters, their lives are really, I mean, they suffer because of yeah. this bad teaching and, right. and that, and they suffer, you know, in a whole range of ways that are, yeah. And that grieves me. Like that's a different, right. I have a different kind of response to that. And, and it's an interesting suffering, you know, it's an interesting grieving or interesting kind of subjugation because it's, and, and maybe this is the case, of all subjugation, you know, maybe that's a, a bit of an aggrandized statement, but it's one that uses the logic that, oh, we are limiting what you can do and that's good for you. You, you, you should be thankful that yeah. we have, as men, taught you the proper place to be. And you should just accept that and be happy with it because well, that's the best thing yeah. for you. I mean, that framing, though, I mean, that kind of framing of it is what the Theo Bro brand is about. You know, it's the Doug Wilson types yeah. who are who are purposely offensive, right? But I think there are, and I think Beth Moore's story points to this. There are lots and lots of people who do not see this as something men are imposing on women. They think it's something God right. has called yeah, yeah. all men and women to yield to. Right. So that that to me is the so, so like if on the one side you've got you know the Doug Wilson types who are just they're incendiary they're offensive because that's their brand they say hateful things about you know misogynistic androcentric things because they they make money from it right like if we brush that aside and we try to engage the good faith believers true believers in complementarianism they would never say this is something men are imposing upon women for of course good. right yeah they would frame it as this is something god has set for us for our good yeah and i think that's a that's a much it's much more honest it's it's good faith it's still mistaken right. I think, deeply mistaken but it you know that i think there is a need to engage that substantively yeah the hard part for me, I mean, if we take those two, those two kind of sides to this issue, right, that do exist, right, or these two framings of this issue, you know, to some degree, it's easier to point out those, again, Doug Wilson types, to kind of show that they're incendiary, that they are doing this, they are, they are putting women down because they're men, and it's easier to kind of point that out, right? Like, you're doing this because you're a guy, and because... This is your position of power, and you do this as a controlling thing, and it works for your churches. The guys who come to your church love it because they get to do whatever they want with their wives, and yep. it works, right? Yep. Well, it works for them, clearly not for the women. But um, the other one is so much harder to, to talk about and to discuss because once you start from that position of, well, this is from God. Yeah. You've really kind of stopped any possible way of con of conversing about it, right? Because who are we to actually say, no, God, that's wrong, right? So it almost limits any kind of conversation on complementarianism if we start it from the position that this is a godly thing. 
It can, but I think it can also open up conversation in terms of, so typically, and, and there are exceptions here, right? So we're talking right. mostly about kind of free church, Protestant, evangelical, Southern Baptist approaches, yeah. right? But there, there are, of course, Presbyterian approaches. There are Catholic approaches to complementarianism. Right. And, and then there are global, you know, takes yeah. from all the various traditions. So, I mean, what we're talking about is a kind of middle America, middle class, mostly white, mostly evangelical right. set of concerns, right? Right. And which is, you know, the worlds that you and I move in mostly. So I think if we, if we narrow our attention to that, I, I think that most of those people are biblicists. Mm-hmm. So the argument, if, if, if they say, you know, this is, this is set in place by God, and you say, well, what is this? What they mean is the Bible's paradigm for male-female right. relationships, right? Exactly. For marriage, for parenting, for society at large. But there, again, if you're thinking about the Beth Moore types, if we can talk like that, there's room for conversation, but it's right. a conversation that's going to be carried out by arguments about scripture. What does scripture say? What does scripture require of us, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Whereas, so I, I, you know, I don't think that it necessarily shuts it down, but of course people can and do use it, use God's name to shut it down all the time. Right. It's, it's the same thing when someone uses the thing that to say like, well, my church is Bible-based. Yeah. Right. As if like the church down the road, that may be a different denomination, isn't, isn't using scripture as some kind of backing, you know, background kind of foundational text. But when we make that claim, Again, it it creates this framing. No, no, we're the Bible-based ones. You know, our argument is is like the godly one, right? It's the, our argument's given by God. So, yeah, and I think honestly, I think it takes a very, you know, how do I say, the spiritually mature person to say, my position is this. However, I am open to mm-hmm. a new interpretation, a new new discussion another book right that may challenge my position and i and i do think that there is there is room for that conversation even in quote-unquote conservative circles yeah it's just that that conversation is going to take it it has to take a particular shape and it takes the shape of what does the bible say and this is why i think the work of scholars like craig keener and N.T. Wright have had the kind of impact that they've had. And then the preaching mm. of someone like Beth Moore and the online presence of Beth Moore and Cheryl Bridges Johns and pre and then other preachers, Christine Kane comes to mind, like women in ministry who are kind of, who have, you know, Joyce Meyer, these glow massive ministries, right? Right. So you've got kind of, you've got theologians, including women like Cheryl John's and you've got ministers like you know evangelists, pastors, kind of public intellectuals in a sense, public ministers, who I think have have done a lot of that work, right? Arguing, right. no, no, look, this is this is what scripture in fact says. And I think it's pretty convincing for a lot of people. I mean, I think by and large, that's been a pretty effective. I mean, that conversation has has quote unquote worked in terms of it, it changes people's minds. I think if if you if you go into it with a good faith, if you're open, truly open, then I think, you know, the work of people like Keener and N.T. Wright, given the groundwork that's been laid by biblicism, you can make a really compelling case, I think. Yeah. And I think people have done that. I, that it brings me to two, I mean, this is more or less a podcast now on current Christian contact church things, Right. Um, because it brings Can we to my, make that the official title and yeah. feed. Oh gosh, I'm gonna have to go back. I don't even remember what I just said, so I'll have to <laughs> exactly. Uh, what rambling of words did I throw out there? Um, because it brings to, to mind two things. One, you know, we're talking about how I mean, my exposure to this conference, my exposure to to this college doing this again. I'm gonna have a we're gonna have a male professor because when it comes to Bible or theology it can only be males or some, it can only be males altogether, any topic, right? That's a whole other vein of complementarianism. But um, 
that's just that exposure for me came primarily through the internet, right? And for me, being someone who has been educated in theology, can engage with that conversation, see the people who are a part of that conversation, the professors, the, the whoever, and kind of be able to parse out the frameworks and understand where people are coming from, sometimes to a limited degree, but at least with enough knowledge to be dangerous in that engagement, right? Mm. But for others, the hard part is, you know, uh, the internet can be such a dangerous place for engagement within theology, Christian thought and thinking, spirituality, you know, and and this is just a a, a small example, but the other day I saw someone post something on Instagram, a quote from a a book that they're reading. It was a longer quote. And the quote was a deeply ingrained complementarian quote. The person would not hold to complementarianism. Yeah. They would they would at least say that they believe that women can be in ministry and leadership and yeah. um, to all to all levels, right? Mm-hmm. But because they were reading a book that they trusted the person and they posted yeah. this quote, you know, there is this this kind of way of of kind of putting out their theology that has become so consumable on the internet that people are being shaped by it and not even recognizing oh, nice. they're being shaped by sometimes well, terrible theology right sure no 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 doubt about that yeah and i think that's literally what we're doing right now perhaps <laughs> yeah, we certainly certainly there are going to be a lot of people who or who would agree with you that we're doing that right now but i i think man there's so many ways to to take that but let me let me say this i, I guess as one possible response to to the problem you're diagnosing I mean, because the problem you're diagnosing is that there, we're just, we're overwhelmed with perspectives, with voices. Yeah. There's there's too much noise. There are too many people speaking into our lives. And because of that, at least, yeah, because of that, we are kind of incapable of having a coherent view of these matters. And I think this is what I wanted to add. I think part of the complexity here is that there are a lot of people that broadly speaking are egalitarian in the sense that they believe men and women are are truly equal in every sense. Right. And they believe that that should also be true of Christian ministry, but who are very quote unquote conservative in terms of sexual ethics. Hmm. So Sometimes what's happening, I think, like in, the, in this that you're describing, where you have someone who is an egalitarian, quote unquote, in terms of women in ministry, but is affirming something that's complementarian. Right. Often, I think what's being confirmed is this kind of broader conservative view, the, the so-called traditional view of marriage. Mm, so, yeah. right. And, th- and there's a we haven't worked through that well. Right. I mean, and, and by we, I mean, those of us who hold to egalitarian views, we haven't worked through well. How do you affirm what what belongs to this kind of traditional view of marriage? You know, that marriage is somehow a gift from God, that childbearing matters, right? That, that right. The, there's something sacred about the family as mom and dad and kids and extended family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, so on, that there's something about that that is to be honored, but not in a way that just slides into some kind of complementarianism or patriarchalism or some, some older kind of understated misogyny, male centered view of the world. And I don't, I don't think we've worked through that well and we've not worked through it well in our universities our seminaries we've not worked through that well in our churches and and so i think that's some of what you're you're touching there the nerve you're touching well and and part of that's the question really you know for how long has it been that those who have defined biblically interpretively so what the family unit is 
has always been, you know, for a large part of history, men, right? Mm-hmm. Here's what a family is. Here's how a family works. This is my biblical interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. Has pro- predominantly come from a place of power of men who get to make those claims, right? So we, I, I'm agreeing with you and saying I don't think we've done well listening to the idea of what is a traditional family in that perspective from a non-traditional lens, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that is well, kids right. or whether that but is that, women, the wife, right? right? But that's part of the, like the fundamental, one of the fundamental problems here is that the, the circles we're describing, and again, all kinds of exceptions, this is, this is an entirely different conversation in Roman Catholic circles, right? Yeah. So we're right. talking here about pretty much white middle-class American evangelicals. There's a, there's a political and social conservatism that's bound up with class issues, the middle class mm. issues, and it's bound up with biblicism, but also a kind of spirituality of experience that when those things mix together, it makes it really hard to listen to anything from outside of mm. what's already right. You know, I mean, so th- it, there's a way in which there's a kind of vicious circle here in that. Uh, w- well, I'm calling it a vicious, vicious circle, but if you're inside of it, you think of it as <laughs> the, pro- it's what's protecting you. It's right. holy, yeah. right. Yeah. That it, it's not a vicious circle so much as it is a sacred wall yeah. that protects you from the attack of the enemy from outside. Proper boundaries, right? right? Boundaries. Exactly. Boundary yeah. language is in fact uh, about the circularity of reason very mm, often, mm-hmm. reasoning very yeah. often. And I think that's, what's going on here. But if, if you are kind of predisposed to distrust anything new as a threat to what God has given you, right? If, if everything strange is threatening, yeah. And the, the more, the closer it gets to kind of your, your deepest assumptions about sexuality yeah. and family, the more threatening it is, then of course it's going to be, it's going to be unbelievably hard. And, and, and that's no less true for women in those circles than it is for men in those circles. Right? Yeah. So no doubt some of this is about power dynamic. A lot of it is about power dynamic, but there are of course, many, 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 many women, including women who are writing and teaching, who hold to the views that I yeah. would say are actually bad for women. Right. So it's, it's a, it, it's not a, it's not as simple as if we would let women speak more. Right. You know, and in those circles, that's how you'd have to say it. Right. That because the men are the ones letting things happen. That, that isn't, that isn't enough. Right. That the, the whole dynamic of the community would have to change. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to do. And, and it gets harder when those beliefs are somehow tied up with what we call faith. And when oh, we absolutely. think of faith so specifically as that which saves or justifies versus not having it and going to hell or kind of any kind of hell language that we might use, because not only is it, it's protective, it also, my beliefs have me going to heaven. If you challenge those things and I start to falter, and, and that's a big issue with something we weren't going to talk about. Still not going to talk about because there's something else I want to talk about, but deconstructionism, right? Because mm-hmm. deconstructionism yes. often happens in these circles of the the more fundamental conservative places that deeply ingrains your belief system with salvation, right? And yeah. therefore, yeah. And all that stuff is yeah. we can't talk to them. We can't we can't deal with it. We can't ask questions because it's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it's, I mean, gosh, there's so much to unpack there i mean even the idea that asking questions and talking is in itself a good thing right isn't right. isn't always assumed right i mean the circles i grew up in like asking questions was not valued like right. it's certainly not asking questions about your own deepest convictions like that wasn't deemed to be somehow a sacred work right sacred right. work is believing sacred work is holding you know the, the the saints that I grew up with, they didn't tell stories about how their minds have changed. That's what liberals did, you know. So like, yeah, the liberals are the people who change their mind. Many now, this is not true of everybody. I mean, I, my grandfather 
for example, would often talk about how through study and prayer, he had been changed. Right. My dad as well. But they were often in trouble with others in our community precisely <laughs> right. because they talked about right. changing their minds. Yeah. And in the, in the churches I grew up in, changing your mind is not a sign of growth and maturity and sanctification. It's a sign that you're letting the devil bring doubt into your yeah, heart, right? So, right. so even, you know, so if you were to say, well, they're not open to questioning, they would say, exactly, <laughs> precisely. We're right. not open to questioning because we have the truth. Why would we, why would we shift from, yeah, from those convictions, right? So in some ways, if that's the posture, if, if you have that, whatever, and I'm, I almost said fundamentalist, but I don't want to label it, How, whatever name you give that posture in which conversation is impossible. Well, it's impossible. Right? There's the, apart from a Damascus road kind of experience, nothing's yeah. going to happen there. But I do think there are a huge numbers. There are huge numbers of people who are in quote unquote conservative circles where there's a kind of mix of egalitarian and complementarian views, right? Depending on what issue is being discussed at the time. And there's deep confusion or at least uncertainty about how do I affirm the, the full equality of women without buying into some kind of quote unquote liberal agenda hmm, on yeah. other issues. And there's just, I mean, people don't know where to go with that. And I think that there, there is room for conversation there. And there are a lot of people who are open to having that conversation. It's just going to have to be handled carefully in part because it, it's a conversation which for most of the people in it, there are some answers that are already out of bounds, right? Right. Like we can have the conversation, but we already know this. You can't answer this way. End. Right. Yeah. You, and it's, and the closer you get to institutional centers, the more those boundaries are clear. Right. So like, right. you know, at a, at a, a Christian university or, or a church or denominational headquarters, et cetera, like, then it becomes even clearer what you can't say in those conversations. Right. And it's usually based on some kind of, not usually, but oftentimes there's that slippery slope fallacy kind of oh, hidden yeah. in there. So, you know, yeah. well, if we, if we take that, then we clearly have to, you know, if we accept a as different from what we think, then we clearly have to accept Z and then the Christian faith doesn't exist anymore. Right. Like it's Absolutely. All this kind of like you are, you are just, you know, the phrase hell in a handbasket, you're heading yep. there and you're going, if you, and, you know, for me, my own kind of personal story, I was very much growing up. I grew up in a very complementarian theological background. That's all I knew. And that's what I defended because that's what I knew, right? And that same thing. Well, anything other than that is a liberal, progressive labels were put on it. And it was through the actual study and the very system that provided that kind of conservative complementarian framework that actually led me away from that using the same exact system, right? The study of the text, mm. context, yeah. right? Doing these things. Um, but those things came for me personally after great resignation of going, wait a second. Yeah. My belief system may be born of, of, of just what other people have told me and not anything that I've actually studied, learned, or taken the time. Yeah. Now, this yeah, can, let, let me, let me yeah. say something there just about my own story, because this is just to kind of, I mean, we're talking around these issues because they're, they're so intertwined and they're knotted. Right. I think this may be one way to get at it. So I was in college. I, I grew up around you know in churches where women were pastors and preachers some of the most influential figures in my life spiritual figures in my life were were women were missionaries evangelists and pastors yeah and and the women in my life my mom and my grandmother in particular were were strong women and my mom's sister lived with us from when i was growing up but, so i grew up around you know, strong, opinionated, thoughtful, gifted women. And I grew up in churches where women preached and sang and pastored. Yeah. And 
there was no denominational hierarchy, so there were no bishops, but women, you know, could hold any office, any, in, in my circles, any office any man could hold. Yeah. That's the world I grew up in. And yet when I went to college, so I was, a, I think a junior in college Bible school and I'm, you know, it's chapel service. Cause we had chapel five days a week and I go forward, whatever the sermon was about. And I'm having my, it's a Pentecostal Bible school. So of course there's an altar core altar call. And of course I go forward and I'm you praying and, if you didn't go forward. Oh, of course. Yeah, right. exactly. And I just suddenly had this searing awareness. I don't know how else to name it. I mean, at the time I would have just said, God told me. Yeah. You don't respect women and nothing else can happen in your life until you do. Hmm. So I'm, I don't know, 18, 17, 18, somewhere in there, years old. It literally took my breath away. Like <laughs> I, I had never, like if you had stopped me the day before and said, you know, what do you believe about women in ministry? I mean, I would have sounded like an egalitarian because I, I wouldn't have right. known those terms, but I would have, yeah. you know, we had teachers at the school, you know, women, you know, as professors, we had, you know, women who preached in chapel, I don't know what it was, yeah. but there was a way in which still in the world I grew up in, this rural Oklahoma world, there was still a kind of patriarchalism and a kind of shared disregard for women that I had internalized. Even yeah. in churches where women held all the roles men held, even in home where the women were strong and opinionated and, and treated as equals by their husbands, I still kind of gathered that in. And I think yeah. that whatever that is, is the deeper spiritual dynamic, right? So when we're talking about egalitarianism and complementarianism, we're talking about models yeah. for ministry and the government of the home and to use the traditional language, which is problematic, but I mean, that's the language <laughs> that's there, right? Right. It, but what I, what I realized is that the there's a deeper kind of respect or lack of respect or regard and lack of regard that can happen to you even when the models are relatively. Oh yeah. And right. I think that we see that with women and we see that in issues of race and racism. Yeah. We see that in issues of class, right. And, and classism and ability and disability. And so there's, there's a way in which it isn't enough to kind of clarify our theology. Yeah. Even mm -hmm. though, of course, that's work I think we need to do. Like there have to be these kind of Damascus Road experiences. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've heard enough stories from my, from women in my life whom I respect to know that many of them have to have a similar experience where, where they come to see how they have internalized right. kind of patriarchal misogynistic oppression and have tried to play play to that because they don't know anything else yeah. right and they have to, to come to you know it's a different experience for them obviously and it's, for each one of us it's different but still i think it's like we we need to talk about whatever that is as yeah. well as the the theological models yeah that's a really really good point because i mean our our experiences are so different in the fact that i grew up in a traditional i mean pentecostal still but traditional uh I won't name it, but you know it, I know it, you know, denomination in which women yeah. are very much not. And in fact, I even watched a conference of theirs a few years back and, and they had like a live chat and most people who are pushing back against women being in leadership were women on the chat, which, you know, yep. was such an interesting thing for me, but mine was a much longer view theologically, right? Yep. Like theologically, it, it was a longer transition than that kind of like a, a hit moment mm. but then there's still some of that it's still some of that kind of background stuff that i have to push back against myself for absolutely right? yeah that, that recognition of where i need to push back i i realize that i'm just kind of still engaging my theology may say one thing but my attitude says something else right yep. and that's i you know unfortunately i think growing up in a very patriarchal society, but also tradition is so ingrained. There's so much unlearning to happen. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, and, and, and at the deepest levels of our souls, right. Like where we're not just talking about changing 
our ideas or our our language or even our practices or our institutional structures. All of that needs to happen, of course. But that there have to be these deep spiritual shifts right. in which we we alter, or not we alter, we have altered for us. And this is what you know goes back to that conversation we've had many times this season about in some ways you don't change your mind, your mind gets changed. Yeah. And only once your mind has been changed for you in a way, it opens up the possibility of you now doing the work of changing right. your own mind. And I think that's been, that at least was true in my case, right? That I don't, I think it, it's not that I didn't have, you know, experiences, language for the full equality of women, but I had, it, that's not what I had internalized. Right. And, I, and I, it took much longer for me to get at the, the ways in which that was true with race and with disability, oh, yeah. right? That those things, you know, I was much older and much further along into life before I realized that I had, I had to have that same still need to have kind of right. continually that. Well, yeah, and I think, I think that's, that's it, right? Like it's once you're aware, it's not, it's fixed. Yeah. Once yeah. you're aware, you go through the process of the lifelong fixing, right? The and which is a spiritual journey. I think it's a spiritual discipline, right? Mm -hmm. In that idea of sanctification, if we really want to get Pentecostal, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um this brings me to another one of our currents, probably our last current of things happening. Um, the passion translation. Mm. Sure, you've seen kind of what's going on. Right. And, and we've talked, yep. we've danced a lot around biblicism, the way yep. in which yep. Yep. the biblical text itself has framed some of these issues for mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. tribes of where they hold to their theological camps. Right. And, you know, it's big thing, you know, Bible gateway took off the, the, the passion translation I'm still waiting. Although I haven't checked in a while, I guess, for you version in the Bible app to take it off because I, I do agree. Actually, I think it's problematic and it should be taken off. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I want to, before I say my thoughts again, just kind of throw it to you and say, you know, or maybe I'll start with this by saying for those who aren't aware, right. The passion translation really isn't a translation. It's kind of funny that it calls itself a translation in the name, but it's, 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 it's a highly paraphrased, and we're not talking the message paraphrased, right? There's a big distinction between what Eugene P Peterson did in the message mm -hmm. and what's happening with this translation from, I think this guy's name is Brian Simmons, right? I don't know. I don't know who did it. Yeah. Yeah. I think his name is Brian Simmons, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. but, um, but again, I've had very little sleep for two weeks <laughs> straight, so could be wrong, but it, it's vastly different, right? And, and I say that because I used to be a hater Again, one of those things, early college, the message that's terrible. That's that's not a Bible translation. And then actually learning about translation in the work of Peterson and going, oh wait, this is actually beautiful yeah. for what it is and what it does. But the past translation is very much a paraphrase, not a translation. Really loaded with name it, claim it, charismatic ideology and ter terminology yeah. that's kind of yeah. just pushed into places and passages. As almost like a theological paraphrasing of things yeah. to be said, right? Something yeah, like you would expect definitely. a pastor to maybe do on stage, but it's been removed. Hopefully it gets removed from the Bible app just because I think it's not a translation. I think, again, if people want to read it, that's okay, but they need to know what they're getting into and in reading it. But what are your thoughts surrounding this? Because it's, it's been a firestorm online of people praising it being removed and then a much smaller group to say, but, you know, upset that it's removed. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I have anything really sensible to say about it. I mean, I, I, I can make the case that, let me put it like this. If they hadn't removed it, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be upset because I think that the real work is not putting pressure on you know, online Bible apps or, you know, Bible, right. you know, whatever the curators for Bible translations. Uh, I don't think the pressure really should primarily be on them. It should be on us as teachers 
to teach people how to read and how to read well. Yeah. So I'm not saying that there's never a time to cancel a Bible translation, but <laughs> that's way down the list of things I want to give my energy to. Yeah. That said, I, I'm sure the internet being the internet, people will have no trouble finding the passion translation if they want to find it. Um, so I, I don't think there's a lot at stake in that particular instance, but it is an instance of this kind of larger problem in our culture right now. And one that has been building for generations. And that is we, because we are overmatched by what's within reach, like there's too mm. much within yep. access for us to be able to process well. Right. So this is a really kind of crude way to put it, not, not crude in the sense of, but it's an unsophisticated way to put it. Yeah. Not, you know, not in a vulgar. Do you way, say anything unsophisticated? Cause I don't think you do. Yeah. I'm doing it right here. I'm okay. Right great. Now. Good example. <laughs> Thank it. you. This is the, yeah. <laughs> the, the, there's a, there's a way in which we have a like endless amounts of information yeah. that cannot become knowledge for us because we lack understanding. Hmm. So we've mm -hmm. got information that should be able to be processed and become knowledge. But in order for that to work, you have to know enough. You have to know enough and be the, a discerning enough person right. to take the, the raw information. So this is, this is what I'm saying is a bit clumsy about it. In, in that way, like if you imagine a robot, right, an AI who is getting all kinds of data input, but has to try to make sense of it to be a reasonable intelligence, right? Something that can right. pass for a human intelligence. Right? There would have to be, a, there's a way of knowing, a human way of knowing, right? Of grasping, of intuiting meaning, of making connections, right. of kind of filtering out nonsense, right? kind of seizing on what is essential. Like the, 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 all of that intuitive kind of almost unconscious, but certainly hardly conscious work that makes human knowing what it is, is overmatched right now. I think right. it, in our circles, because of the ways mm. in which our education system and our, and our discipleship models have failed us. And so yeah. we don't, we, we are just swimming in information and we don't have, we're like those robots, right? Who yeah. just don't have the knack for how to think sensibly about what we're hearing. And so in, in a case like that, canceling becomes a way of trying to eliminate all the stuff I shouldn't have to process. Mm, okay. right? So it's a way of trying to say, we're going to eliminate all that information because that's bad information. Now, just focus on this. The problem right. is though, that doesn't solve it for anybody. No, right. It, it's, that, it's a, yeah. it's a bandaid fix. Yeah, I mean, to some degree, it's a bandaid fix, right? And, and also that's a terrible example of not being sophisticated. Just, <laughs> just to point something out, but it does, it does bring to mind maybe, maybe the, the practicality. And, and this is something that I've been an advocate for, for some time is the fact that we do a really bad job again, thinking of kind of a, a specific type of church, a very evangelical, yeah. Yeah. evangelical minded, uh, even Pentecostal charismatic churches oftentimes do a very terrible job at any kind of way of actually teaching people how to engage with the text of the Bible. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Right? Just tell people, read the Bible. I mean, if I hear another pastor just say, you should be reading your Bible one more time without any kind of like, and we're going to, go through, how do you do it? Well, how do you do it faithfully? How do you do it authentically? How do you do it in community? How do you do it with other people, other voices, other texts? How do you, how do you really engage with it? We're not really ever helping people, right? I mean, it's, it's the same example that I give to some, I would rather hand the message Bible to someone who's never read the Bible before and just became a Christian and an NRSV or an NASB who's going to struggle with the language to gather any meaning, right? Mm -hmm. But that itself is also a Band-Aid fix like we're talking about, right? Yeah. It's yeah. not actually helping people faithfully, authentically, I don't want to say educated, but to some degree educated kind of engagement with the text that, that doesn't overthrow them. And I think 
I think oh, yeah. that was that was probably one of the smartest, again, most sophisticated, smartest things you said, even in that moment was, you know, just highlighting the fact of looking at the cultural moment and going, it's not an issue so much that this exact translation exists, but more that we are so, again, back to that, even that theology thing, my example, we're so embedded. It's so in front of our eyes. I know, I remember being in college and people being like, you know, how many times, you know, a minute you are marketed with, you know, marketing, you know, billboards and ads and, mm-hmm. you know, the logos on your computer and your speaker or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. How many times a minute? I, the same can be said about how many times a minute are we being thrown theological ideas, perceptions oh, about God. And that's, and that's right? why, yes, that's right. And what holds it together for us, when, when you get to this place, right, and you get destabilized as we are like where there's so much information you lack the understanding to process it then what you're looking for is not coherence what you're mm-hmm. looking for is a feeling of, of sureness or certainty that is mostly conveyed by the conviction of whoever's talking the loudest and this is why yeah like you know to use a fancy word this is why demagoguery is so powerful right and that if if the Trumpian phenomenon teaches us anything, it's some we should have known it anyway, because they're, you know, Trump is a dime a dozen, historically speaking. I mean, even in American evangelical history, he's a dime a dozen. Right. right. But but what he's doing, what he has done all along, is just whatever he's saying, he's loud about it. And he's insistent that insistent that he means it now it can be completely contradicting something he said 30 minutes ago right like you know he could in this rally say what he's going to say you know be pro-vaccine and then 30 minutes later on a radio call talk about how much he hates vaccine mandates or whatever and no one's asking well how do those two ideas relate (laughs) right Right? Right. no one's like well how do you say both of those things maybe there's a way to do it but no one's that doesn't doesn't matter what matters is that he seems certain about it and you know and so many of those to go back to the beginning of our conversation with those theo bros who are loud (laughs) figuratively and literally the reason that that works in our culture is because it's a way of, it gives a kind of temporary relief from the overwhelmness of, mm. well, where do I look then, right? And if I can't, if I don't know which translations to trust, and I don't know which theology to trust, and I don't know which books to read, and I don't know which schools to attend, and I don't know which church to listen to, or watch online or to attend, I don't know which podcast to listen to. Obviously, you don't, or you wouldn't be hearing this one. But Correct. the... <laughs> But in, in the midst of all that, there is a there is a kind of th- I think human nature for well who's being the loudest yeah right? yeah and who's who's most consistently presented or presenting himself or herself as certain so, and that 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 it seems to save people a lot of energy now in the long run of course it's self defeating but in the short run it, it can it can be a kind of relief so what you're encouraging everyone to do is turn up this podcast louder. Yes, right. Yes. Let me shout at you. Yes, please. But I don't want to oh. shout. So just turn it up louder. So oh, it seems like I'm shouting. Yeah. yeah no. Well, so but, I, I think, let me say this for you before we shift from it. I, I think one of the reasons we can't fix this problem and we're not going to fix it under the conditions we're living in right now is that the theology that you and I grew up with was a theology that kind of emerged over lots and lots and lots of voices working it out in church services, you know, so many, and many, 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 many yeah. church services, right? So right. The, the, the church of your parents and mine was a kind of social center for them, right? Mm, yeah. It was a, a point in which they right. figured out how to be human in the world from what they were being taught at church, and they were hearing yeah. it multiple times a week. And they were hearing it from the same voice much of the time, but the same voices for sure over long stretches of time, right? Right. So you would have the same pastor or the same kind of pastor for generations in the same church, in the same town where families grew up and then their children grew up to have families of their own. And you had a kind of stability and the church 
at least in the world you and I have known, the church was a kind of social center, right? It enabled people. It did its own curating. These are the, you know, so like the church I grew up in, we only read the King James. No other right. Bible translations were allowed. Right. So when I was growing up, until I went to Bible school, I'd never read another translation because there was no internet. <laughs> right. There was no other bi kind of Bible in my house. And at our church, nobody read anything but the King James. So mm -hmm. when I went to Bible school and, you know, encountered the NIV and other, you know, my teachers were using other Bible translations, that was really the first time I really understood that what translation even meant, right? right? That there were, that there was a history of translation and all that. Yeah. And, and it didn't scandalize me. It fascinated me. Like I fell in love with the Bible even more at that point because of how interested I was in the kind of yeah. the history of translation. But my point is my church did all that work for us. Well, now our churches are completely given over to capitalist consumer culture. There is the internet. Right. And, and we've lived in a pandemic, which means that people have access to far more and they don't have social center to process mm. that for them. Right. Yeah. There, there are, our churches don't function like that anymore. Right. So the churches that are trying to do that, the only ones you notice are the ones that are loudest, that are harshest. Yeah. Right. And the, you know, the Doug Wilson, the Trumpian right. model of say hateful, mean spirited things, you know, loudly enough and maybe, Maybe you'll get the attention you want, but that still fits in the, the pattern of what will we pay you to do? What's going to right. get you clicks? What's going to get you, you know, contributors, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't, I don't yeah. think it's a fixable problem. Here's the thing. I don't, I, don't, I think what you and I are naming here are, are coming close to naming. You cannot fix it under the conditions of life as we're living it. Huh. Like it's like the changes are going to have to be dramatic on multiple fronts well. if we're going to address it. On that depressing note, everybody. See you later. No, See you next time. <laughs> no, I, I mean, and, and maybe this this isn't a fix by any means, but this, to me at least, maybe is a potential way forward. You know, thinking about even all that you just said. You know, I just ask myself the question: Do we need any other Bible translations? And the answer to that is kind of yes and no, right? Like, I mean, for various different reasons, we do need more as we learn more, as we engage more as language changes, right? All that stuff matters sure. and we need new translations. Yeah. But more than that, we need better, a better way forward in our church communities of how oh, to engage with these things, right? Absolutely. Because we're not, and I don't mean, you know, it's really hard because, and, and this is another issue, another reason why it's unfixable, right? If I ever heard a pastor say, don't go listen to any other pastor online. I'm the only one that I'd be like, I'm out. Hello. Right. right? Exactly. That's right. I'm out of yeah. here. But, but we've, we've got to have, like you said, that kind of social center, that social place where we can do this. We can go listen to something online and bring it back to the community and say, what do we think? Right. How do we engage with this? Um, rather than just bringing it back and saying, this is true. I heard it on the internet. Well, yeah, and let me be clear. I'm not saying it's unfixable. I'm saying it's unfixable if we go on living our lives as we're living them now. Meaning, yeah. if I go to church once a week for an hour and a half, and through the week, you know, I have my favorite news, I've got my podcasts, I've got, you know, whatever newsletters I'm reading, whatever books I happen to be reading on my own time, and I've got, you know, circles of friends who are feeding their ideas to me, and then I'm on social media, Instagram, whatever else, seeing other people post their, whatever it is that they're posting. And then I'm just going with my gut response to all that. Which, right. You know, the example you gave earlier of, of the person who is an egalitarian, but affirmed something that's deeply complementarian. The reason is in a, in, when you're kind of swimming in the sea of information and you see something and it moves you, it touches mm, yeah. something subconscious, something in your gut, you're going to affirm that. Right. Without, without even being able to see what about it you agree right. with. What you're affirming really is that sense of, ah, oh, there's something I recognize. Mm. Like in the, you know, I just, I've seen tens of thousands of things. I don't, I don't know what I saw, but I know that like that I yeah. felt right. I, I preached recently. And therefore I'm going program. to share it again. And it, precisely, right. right. Precisely. Right. Because it's a, it, the point of connection is 
this made me feel sane for a split second. Hmm. So I'm sharing it. So someone else will feel sane. And right. if that other person feels sane, now we're connected. Yeah. Right? If you like this post, and, and I think there's a really cynical way of reading that. Like, it's just about trying to get, you know, people to like what you've posted. I, th- I think it's, there's a deep human need here for, oh, yeah. for connection. Like for that sure. loss of social centers, we're looking for that. And right. we're trying to find it online because it's specifically in social media, because that's the quickest way to, to get access to the most people in ways that resonate in those at the gut level. We're, we're like, if, if, if I share this C.S. Lewis quote and you, you know, put the flame emoji on it, well, now you <laughs> and I are connected, right? Like right. I'm, I'm a little less alone in the world, even if I don't really understand what's at stake. In, and, and, and therefore, when someone pushes back against it, we get really offended because we're not right. looking for that, right? We're just looking for the people who say we like it. Precisely, because the it's not the idea, right? It's that kind mm-hmm. of deep human connection, that sense of sanity and shared sanity that feels attacked. Right. Yeah. And, and why wouldn't you be defensive? Right. Like, I don't, I don't, I, in some ways, I don't blame people for being defensive about it because when you kind of recognize the situation we're in, I, I think it's, it's a really, really dire, right. Like dehumanizing context. And a lot of it is just driven by the need to make money. And we, mm-hmm. we have been, and man, uh, this is way far afield from where we started, but like, most of our lives are, and I mean, when I say our, I'm talking about the people that you and I live and move and have our being with. Like most of us are, are cogs in a machine of money making. Yeah. And you just can't do the work of discernment and judgment and truth telling. You can't do the work of discipleship when every single day, you're making money for somebody and you've got to make yeah. enough money to make your, make your bills. And, and until that, until we are freed up enough from that. And I don't, I'm not talking about like free time, like right, you know, right. free time. I don't mean that. I mean, when the, the vision of revelation, right. Of, of, <laughs> of the vision of no longer being slaves to the economy. Oh yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, just yeah, that, yeah. that no, very thing. Right. Yeah. right? Where you're, you're, you're not, your, your anxieties well, your body is not like overridden with anxiety about, you know, how am I going to pay? You know, like, t- like today we found out that Zoe, my oldest is going to Syracuse in the fall. Oh, congrats. Yeah. It's pretty cool. We're excited for her, but we found out today that we had missed this kind of deposit we were supposed to make and it had to be made today or she was going to lose her place. Oh, at the at the school now how much would they really remove her i don't know yeah but that's what we you know so we're but it was a it was a pretty big for us it was a pretty big financial yeah hit we weren't expecting i mean it came out of nowhere and we have to come up with it today well when you live your life at that place i mean you have time to like talk about how to read the bible (laughs) like (laughs) like it's just like there's not room for it and oh yeah I, i think this is this is the thing facing pastors teachers in our churches like the work that needs to be done is enormous but in and it will take a lot of time and we're pastoring people who who have less and less time all yeah yeah man that that hits hard because i keep looking every day when the hospital is going to tell me how much this birth cost absolutely even in light of even in light of of having insurance, I'm still going, nah, who knows? Who knows how much it's going to cost, right? And when you have that kind of anxiety all the time, you know, not that I'm anxious about it as much as I'm like, that's, that's going to be a big number, regardless of what Absolutely. I what I hope for, right? So, oof, yeah. And, and I think what that means for us is having a conversation sometime in the future of how to be more human on the internet, Mm-hmm. Or how to be humans in light of the internet, maybe is the better way of saying it. Yeah. Um, but I will point out, Chris and I have never made a penny off of this podcast. 
Not I'm sure we've lost money. Yeah, Yeah. probably. People are like, in terms of like, we had opportunities that were just about to come to us, and people heard the podcast and were like, nope, podcast, and like, not trusting them, getting them to speak. Get out of here. Uh, But if you do want to help us have a louder, stronger voice, please. What a segue. Yeah, I know, right? Oh my gosh, I'm good at it sometimes. Uh, podcast, Apple podcast, rate, review. I think Spotify nowadays, you can rate and review. It just helps. Again, we're not making any money off of it, but it keeps us going with doing it. And I think this time I never prepped you for this and you've got a beautiful haircut. So anyone who stayed this long, they get to know of your beautiful haircut, my beautiful, not having cut my hair in weeks to months because of this child who we just had. Uh, on Spotify, I'm going to be uploading this as a video since we can do that now with our account. So we'll have this. If you want to look at my office, that's still not done. And Chris's beautiful head of not hair. That's right. Um, Shaved head. Yeah. So let me, let me say one thing before we go in terms of that being present. So on Sunday, the old Testament text for Sunday was Jeremiah 17, Mm -hmm. which is uh, contrasting the shrub and the desert with the tree by the river and you know the cursed are those who do not who put their trust in mere flesh they are like a shrub in the wilderness in a wasteland or a salt land an uninhabited salt land and then blessed are the righteous those who trust in the lord because they are like a tree planted by the rivers of water which connects to psalm one which was the psalm for sunday and what hit me is that in the in the because it's juxtaposed, those two texts were juxtaposed with Luke's version of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain in Luke. There's this kind of startling juxtaposition of the salt land in Jeremiah with being the salt of the earth in Jesus' huh. Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, And this is, this is how that came together for me. I think it relates to this point. In Scripture, salt is about is mostly not exclusively but mostly about judgment you salt yeah. the land to right till right in order to to make Des- new possible. yeah to, to make exactly and that i think is how we're going to have to move forward we're mm-hmm. going to have to learn how to be salty like to be the salt of the earth in such a way that lies are made desolate but we're going to have to have the kind of presence where instead of escalating the conflict or generating more and more and more confusion, we can be mm-hmm. present in such a way that confusions end yeah. that, and that lies are cut off. And I think that's mostly about the energy in which we engage. I mean, it's tone, it's yeah. spirit, right? But it's also, I think, largely about knowing when to walk away from conversations. You know, mm-hmm. so when we started today, what we did pretty quickly was identify, all right, there's some people who are saying a lot of things that they have our attention in a sense, but we're not going to, we're not going to attend to them. Right. Like that they can, they can go into their own corner and scream at each other, but we're going to talk about what, what really matters here for brothers and sisters who want to have this conversation and need to. Right. Right. And I think that that's the way forward, right? Not that that's easy to do, but I do think it is that simple. Like, a large part of being human online is making sure your energy stays pure. Yeah. And the way you make your energy, you keep your energy pure is don't engage in bad faith. You cannot engage in bad faith. You're not going to win. You will lose every time. And you'll generate what I told them Sunday is every time you engage that way, you not only don't uproot that person's, you know, bad faith teaching, you end up sowing confusion into a lot of people who are trying to figure out what is good and bad faith. Yeah. Yeah. Because if, you know, if somebody trusts you, I mean, if somebody's looking to Aaron, like they, you know, a student of yours or a friend of yours who knows, yeah, Aaron knows what he's talking about. And then they see you online doing that. It becomes disorienting, right? right. About, wait a minute, is that what I'm supposed to like? And I think so much of like what's needed is restraint what's mm-hmm. needed is the ability to just say i'm not engaging that i'm I'm going to walk away and that 
in Jeremiah 28, that's precisely what Jeremiah does, right? So Jeremiah has this showdown with Hananiah, who is a false prophet. Yeah. And right. what Jeremiah does in the moment when Hananiah tries to have the showdown with him is Jeremiah just walks away. He doesn't respond. Yeah. And then God vindicates him. But like the discipline to just not respond, I think, is a critical part of part of this. Anyway, I, I, I know we're past time, but I think no, that's you a, were just you were like that's pointing out my us. my failures and faults. You're like, Aaron, <laughs> no, 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 no. Aaron, I've seen you online. I know exactly what you're doing. I don't think I've ever seen you do that. But Well, I, well uh, trust me, it's, it's not been never. <laughs> Sometimes you like to watch the world burn, and that's the evil part on the inside, right? Um, we all have our own internal. <laughs> hey, I appreciate that, Chris. And I appreciate the, uh, yeah, the whatever that thing's called. I can't even think of the word because I'm so tired. Um, you know, you're calling me out, you know. Even if you didn't know you were calling me out, you called me out. Um, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Appreciate you. Thanks for doing yeah. this. And uh, we'll yeah, be back you. sooner than this past gap since you are no longer with COVID. And I mean, our baby's here, but you know, nice. we're starting to settle into a rhythm. I hope. I hope. I haven't caught the baby's name yet. I haven't been, I haven't seen it online. So what's, oh, what, yeah. what do we name the child? Yeah. I'm really bad at the online thing unless I'm getting into arguments. Um, <laughs> It's uh, not pure energy. <laughs> no, his name is London. London William. London. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Is there a, what's the story behind the name? Tell us that. Uh, my wife and I were terrible at picking out names. <laughs> and you like London. And we both just liked the name. Like, literally, it was just like, how about London? I like London. Great. Mm, I like it, too. You know? uh, I like but it too. William's my dad's name, so there's some very connection cool. there. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Um, That's lovely. Man. Well, appreciate you. Yeah. Uh, rate, subscribe to that whole thing again, since that's what you're supposed to say at the end. Now, yes, yes, <laughs> we had too many. Just rewind it for like four minutes and listen too, to that again, everybody. Too many Pentecostal preacher false endings. That's uh, oh my gosh, I'm should, the king of that. That's what we should call this podcast: Pentecostal pastor false, false endings. endings. <laughs> 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 and on that note, yeah, uh, on that, sleep. yeah, appreciate you, man. We'll talk soon. Talk soon.